Cool. All righty. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to open up the scriptures, Father, together. Pray that you would just give me the words that you would have me to speak and pray that you would just bless this time to our hearts and bless the reading of your word. Um, Father, just thank you so much that we can uh, do this. Thank you for the availability of your word to us here in this country. We just thank you so much for uh, those who are with us this morning. Pray that you would be with those who are not and just lift up again those who are mentioned uh, during the prayer request time after the breaking of bread. Pray that you would be with them, heal those who need uh, your hand as the great physician and pray that you would comfort and be with those uh, in all the circumstances that were brought up, Father. We thank you that you know every facet of every circumstance, and we thank you that you are uh, omnipotent to work in all of those, Father. We just thank you so much for all that you do, and pray again a blessing on this time as well as on the Sunday school uh, time that's going on now. We thank you and praise you and pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so Haggai, and we are in... Verse 7, and uh, I'm not going to lie, I got a little bit intimidated. I listened to Casey's message before I started studying for mine, and there were a lot of names that he was reading, and I was like, uh-oh. If I have to read some of those names, um, and I, I don't really, like Zerubbabel and, and Shaltiel, like, again, I don't know if I'm nailing the pronunciation, nor do I know if it's hyper-important. Uh, we know who we're talking about, um, but, like, that's maybe the most I have to do because I'm not doing the whole history and chronology. So thank you, Casey, for doing that. Actually, Mark and uh, Thomas and I were chatting last night, and uh, we agree, I think, that the Lord worked it out because I was out of town. So Casey took that first week, um, and he is a history guy, so he did the whole history, and it just worked really well because that's his, his bag, and I'm not really a history guy. I don't even know what happened last week. Um, so you know, it, it, it worked out really well. But I think outside of the history and the chronology that Casey already provided, there, it, there is a lot of application um, and there's a lot of neat things to look at as we look at the balance of chapter one here. So I'll read through it. Um, what I might do actually is I'll read through the entire chapter because it's not a long chapter, but it'll kind of refresh our memory and give us a little bit of context there. So Haggai chapter one, and we'll do the whole thing. So in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, 
and on the grain and the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. I guess I did have to read a few names, but again, it was like the classic four or three or four names. So um, they like to repeat them a lot. Like, I think we know who Joshua is in this context and, and Zerubbabel, but just, you know, maybe by way of repetition and reminder, we don't forget he's the son of Shealtiel. Joshua um, is the son of Jehozadak. So um, I, maybe the Lord just knows that people like me just need that constant repetition to just beat it into my head like, oh, yeah, that's the, the son of Shealtiel. Now, now I'll remember. Um, but as we look at verse 7 there, so this is following on the heels of what our brother um, Casey kind of uh, led us up to last week. Um, and consider your ways is a theme that you see in this book. As short as this book is, and I think Casey also did that in the very beginning, talking about the shortest books of the Bible. Um, this is definitely in there. But uh, as short as this book is, the word consider is mentioned five times in the book of Haggai. It's only two chapters, but that word consider is mentioned five times. And we know that repetition is often important in, this, in the word of God, in scripture. Um, repetition is, is usually pretty important in general, but when the Lord inspires, when God inspires in the writing of his word, the repetition of phrases or ideas or statutes, those are things that we really need to make sure that we pay attention to. And similarly, as this command or as these revelations were being given to the people um, of Judah here, they really, really needed to make sure they focused in and paid attention. And as Casey also touched on last week, there's a lot of import for us as we take this and apply it to our lives practically today to consider our ways. Now, not all of these were in terms of what happened previously, because some of them are, consider your ways, consider what you've been doing for the past, um, and so I think in one place I read 16 years that this was kind of put on hold, but consider, consider what you've done, but also later in this book, there's mention of consider from this day onward. So it's also consideration for, think about what you're going to be doing, making sure that you are considering it and almost meditating on those things as, um, as you go forward from this day onward. So we see that again repeated, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, just like we saw in verse five. So only a few verses apart, we see that same thought repeated. Very important for the, the, the people of Judah there and very important for us. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. So very, very succinct, clear direction here in verse eight. 
um, what they should do. Go into the hills, get wood, and then I have it in all caps in, in my notes, build the house. Uh, this got me thinking to the section that Casey covered where it talks about their paneled houses. And I think he mentioned they might not be all together or particularly luxurious being paneled houses, but I could almost hear, if you read between the lines here, and obviously this is conjecture and paraphrase, but I could almost hear you know, the, the theme or the thought of, be they paneled houses or not, you guys have houses and you guys are focusing on those houses and I don't even have a house yet. So like Casey had talked about, where's the priority there? Where's their priority stack if their God doesn't even have a house and yet they have houses, paneled or otherwise? And so the direction here is very, very clear and succinct. Go and get wood and build the house. Go into the hills. Um, so there's a couple of notes here as you read uh, further into that verse. That I may take pleasure in it. So that's the first one. The Lord takes pleasure. It's his pleasure to dwell in his house among his people and be in their midst. Psalm 132, 13 and 14 says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. So he will take pleasure in the building of that house. He will take pleasure in residing in that house and being amongst his people. And I think there's a, a neat parallel there to our lives today because the Lord also takes pleasure as we look at ourselves, as we look at this gathering of believers here this morning to be in our midst and to spend time with us. He desires an intimate and close relationship with each and every one of us. You can read in many parts in scripture that our bodies are like unto a temple to the Lord as we have the Holy Spirit now dwelling within us as we have the Lord Jesus Christ hidden in our hearts, we have basically that same thought of that closeness with God, that intimate and close relationship as we go to him in prayer, as we dedicate our lives to him. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it kind of all keeps coming back to that theme of putting him first. Because if we don't, whether it's actually physically building a house for God or whether it's remembering to read the word or pray or come to church in the morning, like our brother mentioned in the breaking of bread, doesn't take much, unfortunately, for Satan to kind of get in there and do something small on a Sunday morning. And it's like, eh, there's probably about half of a quarter of a centimeter of snow out there. I'll probably just chill at home today. It'd be so much easier. I don't have to clean off the car and you know, I'll just stay at home. Um, and then we're robbed of that sweet fellowship of coming here and being together with like-minded brothers and sisters, fellow saints and, and folks who love the Lord Jesus and, and even you know, the, the learning and the teaching that happens um, and the uh, remembering of the Lord Jesus Christ during the breaking of the bread. So many beautiful, important things that are much more important than probably whatever we would be busying ourselves with at home, but the root of all of that is the priority. What is the priority and where do you put that? So the Lord in our midst, the Lord taking pleasure in being in the house, in the house itself and being in the house that was built for him and taking pleasure. We don't have many 
even here this morning, but this might be like a medium Sunday for us. Sometimes we only have a couple families, but nevertheless, where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst. And I believe he takes pleasure in that. I believe that there's honor and glory going to the Father when even a couple of people do ignore all of those little pinpricks from Satan that say, nah, stay home, it'd be so much easier. And they nevertheless go and they go to the house of the Lord and they worship him. And the pleasure and the sweet smelling savor of that, that praise and that worship going up to him brings him pleasure, but it also brings him glory. And that's the next part in this verse. In it that I, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And we know that the latter glory, we're going to read that. I won't rob too much from the second chapter here because I think our brother Mark might uh, be doing that next. But just a couple little thoughts. Um, the latter glory of the newly rebuilt house, this temple, will outshine that of the former. You see that in verse 9 of chapter 2. Um, and I look at this, this book. Again, obviously, this book was built, uh, or I'm sorry, written for the building of the temple and to kind of uh, I, Casey said like a kick in the pants or like a kick in the butt for the, the people of Judah um, to get them to get out of their, their day-to-day doldrums and the slough that they were in and just going through the motions and, and do what they needed to do and put Christ first in, the, in the, the, the peace where he is. But also for us, it's, it's, a, it's a, a shining beacon for us uh, Christians today to examine what's happening in our lives. Consider, again, that word keeps coming back, to consider it. Look at what's happening in your life right now, any events that are happening in your life, and consider them and to put him first. We're not necessarily rebuilding him a physical house, but in everything that we do, he should have the preeminence, and it will be obvious. It will be seen, and when it is obvious and seen by other people, then he will get the glory. We won't get the glory. He'll be glorified in it. And that second piece in this verse, that he will get the glory. I will, I will be glorified, says the Lord. Whenever you see a building, and I'm not, again, a history buff, but I've seen some pretty uh, impressive cathedrals. I've seen some pretty impressive castles. Um, you look at things like the Taj Mahal. You look at buildings that have been erected by man and and you know, they're impressive, but I think usually where our minds go is why was that made? Like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing. But why was it made? If it's a church, well, likely it was to worship, you know, God in some sense, that may be a particular denomination, but whatever. If it was a castle, maybe it was built for a king or a queen or royalty of some sort. But typically when something is built, whenever anyone sees it, it's a reminder of who it was built for or the reason that it was built. Your mind is taken to that. So this house of God that was built, if somebody saw it and was like, this building is magnificent. Look at the scroll work, look at the inlays, look at the wood. But why does this building exist? Well, it's for God. You did all that, like, this is an incredible amount of work. This is, this is amazing. Like, well, yeah, we did all that for God. And then in the same way that actions speak louder than words, it's obvious that he was given the preeminence in that. We did all of this. We didn't just stay at home in our paneled houses. We went out and we, we sweated and we labored and we toiled for God because he's that important to us. 
And we put all of this into that building so that glory that that building has is transferred to the one for whom it was built. And again, considering ourselves and our bodies as temples, we need to make sure that we are, are living in such a way that the glory of how we are carrying ourselves and how we're living as Christians goes to God because he is uh, the recipient of the glory as we live and operate under the banner of Christianity. It's part of our testimony. Our testimony reflects on the one who we represent, on, the, on, on, on God in this case, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Similar to how a building may remind us or reflect on the one for whom it was built. But the Lord will be glorified in the building of his temple. And the latter glory of this newly rebuilt house will outshine that of the former. And even as we look at Christ, you know, as you look at, at Christ when he was here on this earth, um, potentially the ultimate example of, you know, being the new covenant, the tearing down of the, um, of the veil, the separation there, um, constantly at every possible opportunity, every avenue gave glory to God the Father. He didn't keep any back for himself. He gave it to God the Father. He will be glorified in the building of this temple. And now we get back into a similar verse to what our brother Casey was talking about, I think in verse six, yeah, of his portion, the last verse of his portion, where they sow much, they harvest little, they eat, but they never have enough, they drink, but they never have their fill. And again, there's a couple different things to take from that, like he mentioned. There's the fact that God was actively working against them, which is a very scary thing as he covered, but also the fact that they are never satisfied because they're going after something that's not God. God can satisfy us, but if we get money, we're going to want more money. And we're ultimately, even if we have more and more and more money or more than we know what to do with, going to realize that it doesn't really make us happy. It doesn't really fulfill everything that we, that we want in life because, I mean, what does it leave us? And even in terms of, as we know now, being yoked as Christians, when we leave this earth, we're not taking that with us. So that's another element to that thought of putting it into a bag with holes. Like, what are we going to do with all that when it comes time to stand before the holy judge and rightly reconcile the things that we did on this earth? Are we going to say, here's $6 billion, I can bribe you with this, so you let me in and we'll be all good? Like, no, that's all going to get blown away as, as, as we see here in this verse, in verse 9. What, uh, when you brought it home, I blew it away. So as you, see, as you see the word of the Lord coming to the people here from Haggai, the dots are being connected in this sense. So you looked for much in verse 9, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So we know in Micah 6.15, uh, which I think chronologically is speaking about these types of times, you shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. So you're going to work and work and work, but you're not going to see the benefit of that. All of that was prophesied before it came to pass. But God is not so insincere as to leave them without a why here. He's telling them now that I did all of this through the mouth of Haggai the prophet I'm going to tell you that I did all of this so that you know, because again, if we just go through life and things are happening to us, even as Christian believers, I think there's a lot of times where we just say, 
oh, that, that was weird coincidence or like, oh, that happened and like that was not really a fun thing to go through, but whatever, and then we move on with our lives. Um, I certainly know it's not always my first thought to give that to the Lord or to wonder or to, again, going back to what I would consider one of the thematic words of this passage is to consider, consider that circumstance, consider what is my spiritual life with the Lord like right now? Why might this be happening? Not necessarily to make things up where they don't exist, but at least to consider it. Consider your ways. Consider what's happening to you. Otherwise, that stuff that may very well be lessons from the Lord, that may very well be, if we took the time to consider them, turning us back to him and restoring a right relationship where we may have been straying a little bit, those things will just be coincidences. They'll just be a circumstance in the week, and then we just move on. And we go to church on Sunday, and then we go back into the week. And then, you know, these things crop up again. So this here, though, for the people of Judah is pretty nice because they just get this direct from the, from the prophet, the direct word of the Lord saying, didn't you guys notice recently when you did this, it wasn't as profitable as you thought. And like Casey had said, it's not for them not doing stuff. They sowed lots of, of, of seed in verse six. They sowed much. Not like they like, uh, they threw a couple out and then when nothing grew, it's like, well, yeah, I didn't really try too hard. I think I threw it on some concrete or whatever. They sowed much, but yet they harvested little. It almost, it almost doesn't make sense. It almost kind of um, flies in the face of, of, of logic. Um, they sowed much, but they harvested little, or they ate. They, they, it's not like they didn't eat, but they ate and they, they were not filled. Um, or they drink, but they never have their fill. They clothe themselves, but no one is warm. So again, the Lord actively working against them. And this gives a little bit more in verse nine than we got in verse six, where it says, when you brought it home, I blew it away. The Lord blew it away. So when they did actually get a little something and they brought it home and they were like, oh, finally, I got something. He blew it away. And now when Haggai is saying this and it's going to the people and they hear it, they're like, oh, like that stuff was happening and it was obviously not good. Like I was wondering why I did all this and all this and all this and then I just had this little thing to show for it. Now, you, for them, the dots are connected because they see that was the Lord. It's very similar to, I think, how we see in the children of Israel's past, the sine wave of their walking with the Lord and then not and then yes and then no because when bad things happen, they're not necessarily realizing that it's the Lord taking his hand away from them. When good things happen, sometimes they weren't necessarily realizing that it was the Lord using his hand to strengthen them. It was just something that happened. It was just circumstance. And again, the temptation for us and also the exhortation for us is to make sure that that doesn't happen in our lives. To thank God when things go well because it's likely his hand that's helping us in those circumstances and, and, and working out everything for the good of those who love him. And also to look at those circumstances where things aren't going well and to just take it to him in prayer. You know, not saying necessarily that he caused it or, 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 or made it happen, but to, to take it to him in prayer as our first thought, not as our sixth, seventh, or eighth thought because we decided to try to tackle it ourselves first and then only went to him when we realized that it was something that he blew away to begin with or it was something that, you know, he let us struggle in so that we would ultimately realize we can't do it. And then we, we go back to him. And that little, a little bit here is in a sense what's happening. 
where he blew it away. And again, as I mentioned before, he's not so insincere as to leave them without the why, because you see that right in the middle of verse nine. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. All of this had a causality to it. All of this had a root cause in the fact that they were slack and slough in rebuilding the temple or the house of the Lord. It, when you boil it down, is a very simple, simple thing. Um, when I talk to my children and it comes time, if they're misbehaving and comes time to discipline, I'm like, guys, this is so easy. If you do good things, I won't have to do this. You won't get punishments. You won't get, you know, your whatever time taken away, like TV or whatever, or you, you might get a little spanking or something like that. Like that just won't happen. So just be good, easy. Like, you know, and then if you do that stuff, you, you might get a little discipline. So that's like, the equation is like super easy, but is it easy to actually do in practice? No, of course not. Otherwise they would just be like, oh, all right, cool. Like I'll just never do anything naughty or bad again and we'll be good to go. And we don't do that either as believers. Um, we know what the Lord wants us to do. We have the word of God. Um, again, I, the parallel here when I was thinking about the word of the Lord coming to these people of Judah through the mouth of Haggai the prophet, we have the word of the Lord coming to us from the Bible. And we have the word of the Lord coming to other people and then circum, circumvent, or, you know, in a roundabout way, circumnavigating to us because we can read about it in the Bible. This was the word of the Lord to the people of Judah, but now we can read it and we can extract all this application for today's lives from it. And we can see all of these things in the scriptures. Do we just do them all? No, of course not. We, like Paul, would say that, you know, oh, wretched man that I am, who would save me from this body of death? I wanna do, you know, the things that I wanna do, I don't do. The things that I don't wanna do, I do because we inhabit fleshly bodies, because we're still living on this earth in imperfect bodies that um, are still, you know, while we're not under the penalty of sin because Christ paid for that, we're still in the presence of sin and we still um, have our fleshly bodies to, to wrestle with and to deal with. But these people now are seeing the dots connected that, oh, these things were happening and yeah, that wasn't great, but you know, we got by and we survived and we're in our paneled houses and it's, it's life, it's whatever, it's not great. Now they're seeing like, oh, well, that's why that was not so productive and that's why that happened and that was very difficult. And the Lord is saying, I'm doing this because of my house that lies in ruins. It's back to that easy equation. If you do the things that I've commanded you and you love me and serve me, you'll be prospered. It's not a prosperity gospel, it's just factual. He will bless them. If you don't, he will correct them. But again, easier said than done. And so we see that kind of continue on through there into verse 10, that the, the heavens above you withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And we know in other parts of scripture that the Lord is very, very capable, easy for him to say, I will rain down dew, or I will create food where there is none, or I will create produce. I will bless the land and the produce of the land. You see the people that the Lord blesses, and it's the exact opposite of this. I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast on all their labors. We know that God is a jealous God. 
And here we have, and, and I would, you know, I know we probably all know this, but jealous with an asterisk because not jealous like we're jealous. When we get jealous, we sin, but jealous righteously for the people that he's chosen. And we have yet another example of countless others where the people of God, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, whatever, neglected him. And again, before we would ever deign to point the finger at them and say, yeah, you know, they're all over the place, we need to look at ourselves, look, consider, consider ourselves, and see all the examples every day of where we do the same exact thing, where we neglect him. We see, again, because we have scripture available to us and we can read the chronology of the children of Israel and all the... And these are bigger, these are bigger in the sine wave of like when they're with the Lord and then they, 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 they turn away from him. And, you know, I, don't, I didn't go back and do a study, although I thought about doing it last night. Um, it would be interesting to do a study on how many times in the Old Testament do we see and the people did evil in the sight of the Lord or the, an individual did evil in the sight of the Lord or, you know, so-and-so turned away from God and did what he felt was right or did what he thought was right in his own mind or the people did what they thought was right in their own minds. Um, constant, constant, you know, and we could look at that and be like, mm, that's not great. But then we need to consider ourselves and it's the same thing. It may not be nationwide, big swings like that, but it's little things in the day-to-day where we choose and we walk with the Lord and then we, we, we don't and we're away from him for a time because we want to do things our own way. So that, that walking with the Lord and then being away from him is a much smaller roller coaster in our own lives, but it's still present. And I think all of us, assuming we were being honest with ourselves and with each other, would agree that, that that's, that's certainly the case in our lives. Um, but that's the importance of considering our ways stopping, slowing down, and taking the time to consider our ways and spend time with him and like they did in eventually putting him first and giving him the preeminence and building his house, making sure that we do that in whatever the case may be, spending time with him in prayer, reading his word, going to church because we know that we can you know, remember him in the way that he instituted in the breaking of bread, fellowshipping with fellow believers, all of those types of things. Um, consulting him, taking things to him in prayer first um, and not after you know, trying it ourselves several times. Um, and then in 10 and 11, when, when the dots are connected, I was, I was looking through this and studying this last night and reading some commentaries and um, my mind was actually taken to the story that Mark Thomas likes to tell of some of the reprimands that he would get from his dad, I think it was your dad, that would, it was the, the, the very gentle, like, but firm pat on the cheek. And I say pat because it's not a slap. It wouldn't turn your head based on, and again, this didn't happen to me, but I'm recounting from what our brother has, has told the story a couple of times. Um, but like looking right into your face and saying, you know, just a gentle pat, like this is important. And I would venture that I'm assuming if there were to be any follow-up exhortation or words uh, of um, correction or anything like that, that Mark or whoever else would be laser-focused, like locked in, because now he's brought your attention to where it needs to be. 
I think this is happening here for the people of Judah because as they hear these things, they're realizing that God is basically talking to them and saying, you remember when this happened? You remember when you were frustrated by this and you did all this and you only got this little thing out of it? I did that. That was me doing that. And I'm not just gonna say that and be like, okay, bye. I'm gonna say that and I'm also gonna tell you why I did that. Because of my house, which lies in ruins while you guys are in your paneled houses, taking care of yourselves and putting yourselves first, but not putting me first. So they have the reason for the happening and they have the dots now connected and I feel like they're locked in now because you're gonna see here in verse 12 what happens. They, they just obey and we'll get to that, but I think that they're, they're locked in like that story with that, that, that Mark would tell of his father's discipline. Gentle but firm. You know, he didn't, like, like I think Casey mentioned last time, so many examples of where if a, a, anyone other than God were in charge or were in this position over the children of Israel, I've chosen them. How many times up and down in those downs would it take before he said, you gotta be kidding me. I've had enough. I've given them absolutely every possible chance to love me, to serve me, to follow me. I'm done. And just not save a remnant, not still have a plan for them in the future, just cut them off, just done. I would have done that because I have no patience, at least not long-suffering like God is long-suffering, but thanks be to God that he is long-suffering because again, as we parallel ourselves to the children of Israel, we're the same way. Yes, we've been saved by the blood of Christ if we've accepted that free gift of salvation, but we are constantly we are constantly going back and forth. I'm constantly, I can look at my own life, consider it in front of all of you and say, I'm constantly backsliding and doing things. But he doesn't say, you know what, Mark? That was the 317,000th time, you're done. Like, you're, you're just done. You know, I'm done with you. He doesn't. He is infinitely long-suffering. And thanks be to God that he is, because none of us would last otherwise. He is, he is not slack concerning his promises, but is patient, not willing that any should perish. So I look at the remnant of the people here in the same way um, that, we, that we just talked about with the story of, of, of you know, the discipline that I mentioned there and the realization of their situation finally dawning on them as the word of the Lord is spoken to them through Haggai and it finally sinks in and it paves the way to verse 12. And hallelujah that it does, because in verse 12, you see there were, at least my Bible has a little break that comes in and it says, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, all of them, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And then in the last part of that verse as well, it's a beautiful thing, and the people feared the Lord. And again, this is a theme that I think you see throughout the Bible. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I don't think that this is a fear like, oh no, what is he gonna do to me? Because again, this is not a human Master, this is, not a, this is not a human power over us that is sinful and will suddenly 
let their anger well up and, and, and discipline in, in anger only and not in righteousness and not in truth and in, 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 in justice and fairness. But God is, is different from that. The fear that we would have of God is a reverent awe, knowing that he can do this type of things to us. As they started to see and the dots were connected for them that he was doing all of this stuff to them. And ultimately, if they were to start to harden their hearts against that and say, why would you do this all to us? Like, you know, you made our lives horrible and like we tried to do all this stuff and it didn't, we didn't see the produce from it. We didn't see the benefit from it. Well, ultimately, as they would consider their ways from that point forward, they would see that it's ultimately for the good. It's not for the bad. He's not doing it just to kind of beat them down and push them down. It's for the good. The fear of the Lord, a reverent awe and respect for the Lord should be with us always, even now. And again, it's a constant temptation to just rely on the the niceties, the conveniences, the fact that we live in a pretty affluential um, or affluent, excuse me, country here where we have all this stuff, we have wealth, we have homes, we have warmth, we have food, um, all of that stuff, not like looking for our day-to-day needs um, and not to, not to get sucked into that, but to always remember that all of it is from God and at any point in time, it could also be gone. So whether there's, you know, in the Bible, you can read whether you have much or whether you have little to praise the Lord, to to thank God, whether you have much or whether you have little, whether you have nothing, whether it's all been taken away, to praise God so that what you have or don't have almost becomes immaterial. That's a side thing. That's just a constant praising of God and living for God. So... Again, in, in verse 12 there, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to read that they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and they feared the Lord. And again, with respect to practical application for us, we have the word of the Lord our God in, in the word of God, in the Bible. And we can't ever make the excuse, I didn't know what to do. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what he would want me to do in that circumstance. You know, I know that there's nuance in life of circumstance and there's difficult things, but I think we have a pretty good grasp of, of what we should do and what we shouldn't do based on how the Lord has instructed us through his word. And we can talk to other um, godly men and women around us and we can, um, you know, again, uh, take advantage of the fellowship and the shared wisdom of fellow believers uh, again, as we think not of ourselves, but of working together uh, for, for God and for his honor and glory. In verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And this is another beautiful thing. I am with you, declares the Lord. So he doesn't just, you know, make their lives challenging and beat them down, tell them why, and then they obey him. And he's like, thank you. Finally, you obeyed me. And then just bounces and leaves But he says, I am with you. I'm going to help you through this. Now that you're doing what I wanted you to do in the first place, I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will prosper you. So he has, he has that, you know, it is, it is like after a time of discipline, I found that if I do have to discipline Sammy or Mikey or Rosie, it's so damaging to just discipline them and just be like, throw my hands up and just leave. Although sometimes that's what as a human being, as a, as a fleshly individual, I want to do because I'm so frustrated. But 
it's so much better to discipline them, to talk it through with them afterwards, and then just to sit with them and to spend time with them because now you're showing them that you wanna be with them. It's not just like I dealt with you and get out of here now, I'm done, and I'm gonna go do whatever else. And the Lord here is saying, you've been disciplined. Now I've told you why I did it and what you have to do now going forward. Consider all of that, but also know that I'm here with you. So if you start to do these things, I won't continue to, to challenge you and to beat you down, but I will prosper you instead. I will be with you in, in verse 13 there. Uh, and what a night and day difference it is between him being against us and him being for us. Because if he's against us, no one can help us. No one else can help us because no one is greater than God. We read this morning, the hand that Jesus would say no one can pluck me out of is the Father's hand that no one can pluck us out of and no one is greater than the Father. So if God is against us, no one can help us. But we know in the scriptures, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. So the converse is true as well. And so what a beautiful thing it is to have God for us. Um, and this was another beautiful thing that I saw, and again, not to steal too much thunder from the second chapter, but verse five of the second chapter um, reaches back to the covenant that he made with them. It, It says that according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. I never left you guys, you left me. You forgot about me. You stayed in your paneled houses and took care of yourselves. You forgot about me. But the covenant way back when, when you guys came out of Egypt that I established, that never changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you guys remember that? Maybe in the generational ups and downs and the message didn't get passed down and conveyed, which is a very important sobering reminder for us today. Those of us with children, as we consider Um, passing on the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's worked in our lives to our children. But maybe that got lost in translation as we see that here through the generations. You do see in scripture where this new generation did not serve the Lord. And again, they did evil um, and they did what was right in their own eyes. Um, But God would say that covenant, that's still valid. I still honor that. Um, These things are still done according to that same covenant. You guys may waffle all over the place and wander away and come back and go away again and come back, but I've always been here. My spirit is still in your midst. That same covenant that I made with your ancestors, your forefathers, is still there. So going back to this thought here in chapter one, he is, he is comforting them. He's saying, I, I'm with you. I never left. I'm here to help you. I'm here for you. You're my chosen people. So he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he was with them. And here you you see kind of that taken a step further in the last two verses in this passage, 14 and 15. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, the spirit of all the remnant of the people. He stirred up their spirit. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So again, 
he didn't just get them to obey and then was like, all right, cool, and then left them to their own devices. Like, now that you're on the right track, I'm out. He stirred up their hearts. He encouraged them. He, he, he caused them to be stirred up to do the work that he wanted them to do. So again, a, a beautiful thing that as God works in our lives, if we were to kind of stray away from him and we are brought back, whether you know, we're spending more time with him now, whether we, when we consider our lives and we come back to him, he stirs us up and he works with us. And he wants, again, as I mentioned at the very beginning, he wants and desires that relationship with us, that close and intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Um, and I would say, I would dare say that as we continue to serve him and walk closely with him, that he will stir us up to continue doing that even more and more. I think of the disciples on the road when they, when they recall and they recollect that. Didn't our heart burn within us when he spoke to us? And desiring that, that fellowship, that closeness with the Lord where our heart burns within us in, in a good way to spend that time with the Lord Jesus and to spend that time with, with the Father in prayer um, and, and in meditation and consideration, not only of the things that have happened to us recently, but of the things that we plan to do going forward. So let's just close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these things that we can read here in the book of Haggai, though written to the people of Judah at the time. There's so many things that we can pull from Scripture um, all across uh, the scriptures that we can apply to our lives today, Father. We pray that you would always give us the grace to give you the first place in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that you would have the preeminence, that we would take things to you in prayer first, that we would spend time with you uh, in prayer, reading your word, um, knowing that just as the word of God was brought to these people by the mouth of Haggai, we have your word available to us direct from scripture and we can read it Pray that you would help us to do that, Father. I pray that you would give us hearts that are eager to hear from you, hear from your scriptures, and to spend time with you, Father. We thank you for loving us. We thank you again for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for those visiting. Pray that you would just bless us all as we travel back home. Pray for Journey's mercies, and we would just think of those who are not with us uh, here this morning. Pray that you would be with them and encourage them. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.